opting to have the sermon first today because of what I'm dealing with and then tying in the balance of the sermon with what we discuss. For you men, fathers, grandfathers, teen guys, and boys, I have a couple questions for you to ponder. Some thought questions. Who in your world knows your strengths and struggles, your victories and failures, your pride and your, your humility, your sins, but yet loves you unconditionally and works for your good? With whom do you feel free to share your struggles, your sins, your failures, and your desires? Have you ever experienced as a pattern of life someone who works in your life for your benefit always? Do you fear rejection? Since it is Father's Day, we want to consider a psalm and make some applications to men, to fathers, to grandfathers, and to boys. I'm not going to share what you should be doing, but desire for you to know and experience the Father. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We'll be reading the entire psalm together. Psalm 139, David writes the psalm. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You have me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn... If I sit on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be darkness to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. 
May you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of praise, and it also includes some lament. It appears in book five of the psalms. The psalms, remember, divided into five books that would have been used in worship. It appears in book five. And in book five, we find that Jehovah, or Lord, is used 236 times. Elohim, or God, appears seven times. And remember also when you see Lord in capital letters in the Old Testament, it's referring to Jehovah, the independent, self-existing one, the one who is the I am, the one who has no beginning and who has no end. Elohim, which appears in verses 17, 19, and 23, speak of strength, energy, to declare, to swear, to make a covenant, and to put together, Elohim or God means strength, power, absolute faithfulness. So we find that the Lord, the independent self-existing one is being referred to along with God. Strength, power, absolutely faithful. The structure of the psalm, in verses 1 through 6, we have the Lord's discernment of individuals. In verses 7 through 12, we find the Lord's perception of individuals. In verses 13 through 18, we find the Lord's intimacy with individuals. In verses 19 through 24, we find prayer for vindication. And I would emphasize Lord, the Lord's discernment, the Lord's perception, the Lord's intimacy. In verses 1 through 6, we have the Lord's discernment of individuals. The root word know occurs frequently. Look at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. In verse 2, you know when I sit and when I rise. In verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Divine discernment is emphasized in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me. In verse 2, you perceive my thoughts from afar. In verse 3, you discern. My going out and my lying down. In verse 5, you hem me in behind and before. This knowledge is a relational knowledge. There's a level of 
relationship. The Lord knows completely, and that's why the psalmist can say in verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. There's an intimacy of knowledge. So he exclaims in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So the Lord knows what I'm going to say the balance of this sermon, even before I say it. David knew that the Lord knew him intimately, but he is not afraid of the Lord. The Lord, the judge, is more than an arbitrator for David. He is the one in whom David found protection. In verse 5, you hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. And the placement of the divine hand signifies protection and blessing. The knowledge of the Lord is nothing less than a knowledge that discerns and discriminates in favor of those who walk with the Lord. Grace that justifies and blesses. The Lord acts favorable for David. If you look at history, the Lord acted acted favorable for Adam, Abraham, Jacob, Peter, and the list could go on for many others. In verses 7 through 12, we find the Lord's perception of individuals. The presence of the Lord is everywhere, hence he perceives all things. Notice in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I set on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The psalmist is not trying to evade the Lord, but he further amplifies the Lord's knowledge that is beyond human understanding. He's amplifying this knowledge of God, this discernment of God. Wherever I go, the Lord is there to discern. The psalmist emphasizes knowledge or discernment that can't be limited to any particular place. See, we humans, we can go somewhere and we can be away from someone's presence. You can't go away from the presence of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is parallel with your presence in verse 7. Where can I go from your Spirit? The obvious answer is nowhere. The language in verses 5 and 6 declare that God's presence is everywhere. Unlike pagan deities, whose authority was defined or limited To a certain area of operation, the Lord's authority extends to the heavens, to the depths, to the wings of the dawn, to the sea. 
If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I set on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will be not will not be dark to you. See, the Lord perceives individuals. He perceived David. David is not fleeing from the Lord. He's amplifying that I can't flee from him. I can't escape him because he is everywhere. The Lord's hand would protect David. And I think God's child, wherever they may be. Verse 10, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. In verses 13 through 18, we have the Lord's intimacy with individuals. In verse 13, we find the Lord was intimately involved with the psalmist. Spiritually, in his inmost being. Physically, he was knit together. The Lord formed David. The Lord forms you and me. Our personality, our abilities our physical features. In verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In verse 14, there is praise. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Praise is the proper response for the Lord's discernment, the Lord's perception, the Lord's intimacy, the Lord's view, or I being over you wherever you may be. Ever stop and think about how God creates? If you observe children when they're very young, even before they're a year old, you can see their personality developing. Well, we can mold and make to a degree, but there's certain things about personality and who a person is that you probably will not change. We can help them to be godly, but there's qualities that God has created in them, fearfully and wonderfully made. In verses 15 and 16, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Again, intimacy and relationship. You think about a child even before they're born, the Lord is aware of what's happening and what that person may be like. Their physical features, their mental capacities, their emotional responses, and so on. In 17 and 18, as the psalmist exclaims again in wonder and amazement at the Lord's intimacy or intimate involvement in his life. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. How precious to me are your thoughts. Precious thoughts like the Lord has searched us and knows us and is still committed to us. The Lord knows what we're going to say. But he's still committed to us. The Lord knows what we will do tomorrow. But still committed to us. We can go wherever we want and try to hide. But he is there. 
But why would you want to hide from one who knows us so well and has an intimacy of relationship so very well? The psalmist then goes on in verses 19 through 24 to a prayer of vindication. The tone seems to change in verses 19 through 24 from thanksgiving to an overpowering gratitude to imprecatory. In verses 19 and 20, we find that the psalmist sees no intimacy between the Lord and the wicked. Thus, he thinks they should be slain. The wicked are destructive, according to Psalm 1, scheming and rebellious to the rule of the Lord in this world. They're bloodthirsty men. Thus, they don't respect life. So David says, if only we'd slay the wicked, O Lord. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. This intimacy with God, with the Lord. And then we find David making some requests concerning evil people. In verses 21 and 22, the devotion to the Lord excludes any loyalty to those who hate him. If I'm loyal to the Lord, I can't be loyal to those who hate the Lord. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I'm nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, in light of the Lord knowing the psalmist, this intimacy of knowledge, this intimacy of discernment, this intimacy of relationship, as David talks to the Lord about those who are evil, he says, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, search my heart. You know me. You know me completely. And if I'm not on target, let me know. And he'd just get done saying, if only you would slay the wicked, O Lord. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. Some very strong statements. But God, I want my heart to be right even as I say that to you. I think the main point of this passage is that the Lord discerns, perceives, and is intimately related to his children, the psalmist, and I think those who are his children. Thus, there is freedom to ask the Lord to search one's heart. Now, I want to think about some applications. I'm going to make the applications primarily to men and boys and husbands and fathers and grandfathers. If you don't fit that category, you can still think about applications. Are men, fathers, boys, experiencing genuine, unconditional love and acceptance that works for their well-being? Now think about it, guys. Have you and are you experiencing genuine love and acceptance from someone that knows you totally and completely and intimately? 
Ultimately, it's found in the Lord, in Christ. See, the Lord knows all about us. But he's committed to us. This brings freedom to open your life to the Lord, your mate, and others. From the beginning of time, men have hid. The Lord came to Adam. Where are you? And, you know, then Adam ends up blaming his wife. Men love to hide. Is that one reason we as men talk about the weather and talk about our jobs and talk about sports, but rarely talk about ourselves? Most of us don't go up to someone and say, how are you doing today? What struggles did you have this week? Oh, how's the weather? What happened on the job? Most of us don't walk up to some guy that I'm talking where we have some knowledge of and say, how did you treat your wife this week? Did you say anything unkind to your kids? No, we just avoid those things. But if we understand God's intimate knowledge of us, that moves us to be free to share with others. That also means we can extend genuine, unconditional love and acceptance to our wife and children. So we as guys, as husbands, as fathers, those of you going to be a husband or a father in the future, we're known by God, we're accepted by God, we're known intimately by God, we're perceived intimately by God, we have this intimate relationship, but yet he loves and accepts us. Can we not know our wives more and more and love and accept them in spite of all their failures, in spite of their strengths, in spite of their struggles? Just say, I'm committed to you. you know, that frees us to love others in a genuine way. Meditate much upon the Lord's character in Psalm 139. Just come to know God. Experience Him for who He is. See, what you think about, what I think about, is what we become. So for you guys, tomorrow when you're driving down the road and you exceed the speed limit a little and you get a little twinge of guilt, Ten minutes later, you can say, well, the Lord knew about that, and he still is working in my life. So when you have this big plan to do something for your wife or your children and your accomplishment, and you think, you know, that was pretty good. Think about the Lord know that, knows that, and he's intimately related to you. A second application. The Lord knows us completely as men, as fathers, boys, and in Christ we're fully accepted. And I know I might be saying the same thing a little bit different way, but that means we have nothing to prove. We're tempted to brag about our work. We're tempted to brag about what we accomplish. And there's nothing wrong in talking about what we may accomplish and what we do. But there's no need to do that, to prove something. It seems little kids have that, little boys have that in them from birth. 
How many times have little boys argued and bragged about their dad, their dad being better than someone else? That just seems to be part of boys and fallen nature. And then we grow into men and we think we have to prove ourselves. So we lift weights to show our strength. We think we have to have a good job to say, I'm making good money. So when someone says, uh, Pastor, how far are you jogging now? And I say, well, I'm up to 25 miles. Wow, I'm not up to 25 miles by any means of the word. Well, what's the whole point? No, prove ourselves. We don't have to, we don't have anything to prove. We're in Christ. The Lord knows us. He accepts us. It's done. That brings freedom. So find your identity in Christ. Find your identity in Christ. Not your job, things you've accomplished, and so on. I'm in Christ. Again, you're in Christ. You have nothing to prove. That means you are free to admit wrong, seek forgiveness, let others see your weaknesses, and so on. God knows me intimately. God knows you intimately. God knew the psalmist intimately. There's an intimate relationship. He knows you have a bitter spirit before you even have it. He knows the thought you have towards your family that is a positive before you even have it. That brings freedom to admit wrong. Guys... We struggle in admitting to our wife, our children, a friend that we have been wrong. And we struggle in seeking forgiveness. But think about Psalm 139. There's freedom there. We don't have anything to prove. So I say to my wife, honey, I was wrong. I really blew it. I was a royal jerk. She says, I know. But I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I say, honey, I was a royal jerk. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But I want you to know that God knew this even before I struggled with it, and he is committed to me. I don't have to prove anything to you. I don't have to prove anything to my kids because I'm in Christ. Guys, that's freedom. Our presidents of our country Our Congress, our Senate, rarely admit wrong. When was the last time you had a president or someone in the Senate or Congress get up and say, I just want you to know I was wrong. I sinned. I'm asking your forgiveness. But I'm going to pick up and go on. See, that intimacy of the Lord brings freedom. And that means we can share life with others. We can extend acceptance to our family. Being a man, a husband, a father, a boy, a teen, is not found so much in what we do, but coming to know the Lord in a deeper and deeper manner. And in light of the Father heart of God, He invites us to worship Him. 
And as we pray together, as we sing together, as we give, as we reflect in communion a little later, let all of this be in response to God, the Lord, the independent self-existing one who is our Father. Just respond to who He is. Let's pray.